yo what is up what is good i hope you are good i hope you are rested happy new year and welcome to the african film podcast this is the first time that you're with the african film podcast this is a space where we explore african cinema through film recommendations as well as pertinent conversations with practitioners working within the african filming space Now we had taken an unplanned but much needed break during the Christmas holidays to catch our breath, get ourselves together. But also with that, since we had taken an unplanned break, our episode, the episode we're starting off this year with, was actually meant to be our Christmas episode. And with it being our Christmas episode, we had both a film recommendation, which is Christmas-based, and our guest this week is the producer of said Christmas film. So the film that we're talking about is a Zulu Christmas. It is a Showmax original which came out on Christmas. And our guest is the producer of that film called Tolani Tlapo. So yeah, let's get into the movie. So Zulu Wedding is centered around the character of Sbonello. Sbonello is actually, I don't know, I'd say between like 8 and 10 years old. But he's a very young kid and he's upper middle class. He's an only child. He's been brought up in in like the Bryanston types of areas. And it is coming around Christmas. And his mom has this very big case that she needs to deal with that will take her almost up until Christmas so she decides to send him down to his grandmother in KZN whom he hasn't seen since he was basically a toddler. So the movie is basically taking us through the culture shock that he takes that he has to go through from being a city boy to basically getting into his roots and just learning about not only himself but his culture and the roots of his family and speaking of which there to guide him throughout this entire process is his age mate cousin Sgetelo who lives with the grandmother and is basically been brought up with their grandmother she's very feisty she is she knows what she wants she's very confident which kind of plays against Sbonello's more reserved city boy kind of spunk that he has I don't know like he's he's shy but he's not shy he's shy but in a cocky way and then she's got this very um I know what's right and I'm going to do what's right energy and they've got they've got really good chemistry going on so the the movie basically takes us through the journey of their relationship as cousins getting to know each other him getting to know his grandmother him getting to know his culture and basically him falling in love with this element inside of himself that he's not really had a chance to explore which also includes him having never learned how to speak Zulu so throughout the film he's basically also picking up because now he's in case it end and everyone is speaking Zulu this culture shock that he has has now forced him to basically step his game up Hi Father Christmas, my name is Ponello Zulu and I am 8 years old. For Christmas this year I would like a Playstation 5, a Nintendo Switch, a racetrack with some fancy cost race on it. Aura, cut, cut, cut! You know you're so good at bragging to your friends that you have a son. We can go to Disneyland next year. Pinky promise. Next year? You'll be in Kazadan with your cousins and your Coco. Strict Coco? Mommy, no! Someone away my game. Someone away my game. Good day. I've already emailed the video to Father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what? 
Are you Korea for the Christmas? Written by Nelsi Bia and directed by Tabo Ntsako Mashaila, A Zulu Christmas is definitely a kid-centric family film because the children's performances are what really ties this together. I mean, the lead characters are Neo Malefo, who plays Sponello, as well as twins Abongile and Ayabongekele who play the role of Sketello. This is definitely a film that I believe you guys can watch as a family if you're if, if this is if this is young families, this is a movie for young families, for kids. I know that Christmas season is kind of over, but if you're looking for stuff to have your kids be able to watch and also kind of get a bit of culture into it, this is a very good watch. One of the one of my favorite things about this film actually is that the subtitles for the film, usually the subtitles usually appear when People are speaking vernac and then the subtitles are in English. But this film goes both ways in that the subtitles when they're speaking English actually are of Zulu. And then when they're speaking Zulu are of English. So if you take the time, this is something which allows you to be also kind of get that back and forth, which I think is could be a very good learning curve and also trying to be able to learn the language. It's very feel good. The scoring of this kind of seeps in that warmthness of a Christmas movie, a Christian movie. So yeah, that is our recommendation for this week. It is called A Zulu Christmas. It is found available on Showmax. I do believe it is also still airing on Zandi Magic. And our guest for this week is... The producer of that film, Kolani Ntlapo, who is also a comedy director, an actor, and one of the founding members of Eccentric Circus, which is a very young production company who have been making waves. So if you want to find out a little bit more about the making of this film and as well as just how he navigates the industry because as a as a young production company, Eccentric Circus has done almost a dozen um, films within the last three years in terms of for either for bro- broadcast or made for streaming. So we unpack that, we unpack the industry through his eyes. And yeah, it's a very frank conversation. And yeah, that is the seventh episode of African Film. And also because this is quite dated, this episode was done around the mid of mid-December. So just keep that in mind when you listen to the podcast. And yeah, thank you for your time. Welcome to African Film. Yo, what is up? And welcome to the seventh episode of the African Film Podcast. And today we are here with a special guest, one of my close friends in the film community. He is a producer, an actor, a director, the executive producer of a production company called Eccentric Circus, which to this point has done over eight movies of which... I believe at least eight have been for primetime um, television and we are now getting into two which are going straight for streaming. Today we're going to be talking about one of those things because one of them is a Christmas film. Oh my God. How are you doing? So it is Kualani <laughs> Mklapo. 
<laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? I'm all right, man. It's uh, it, it feels like we're, we're almost at the end of this decade. I know people keep saying it's been a year, but I, I don't understand how Rody Rich was at number one at the beginning of the year. How, like, there are a lot of things which people are saying is 2020, which or, or they're saying is this year, which feels like was like four years ago. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy to kind of get this chapter done. How are you? Um, I'm good. Um, I'm kind of excited for what the future holds. Um, this chapter is just... It's been a crazy ride, but we're still here. And I, like, I'm looking forward to like the next decade. Uh, I'm also trying to wrap up this decade in a, in a night. <laughs> in a night yeah. right, so for the viewers, um, can you please, besides what I have said about you can you fill in a little bit more about who you are and what it is exactly that you do my name is polani x and chapel executive producer producer line producer director actor i'm from Karanku and Pretoria. studied live performance adapter was part of the mnet magic in motion which is now called the multi-choice talent factory that now it's called that eccentric circus started in 2017 so we officially like three years old now. We put a challenge to ourselves to actually go out for more work and bigger work. And that, that, that made us to grow much more quicker than we actually anticipated because in our plans, we were planning to start shooting features only in 2021. And you've already shot two when the, this year when, alone. Yeah. And when, the, when they knock on your door, you can't really say, oh, come next year. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, and, and, and we are going to get into a bit of that later because what I find very interesting about you guys, as young as you as a production company, you guys throw yourselves into, you're not just trying to be specifically broadcast-centric. You're playing in a lot of different realms because you've done web series, you've done short films, you've done digital shorts, all these other different types of things, as well as you, you made your broadcasting debut as a director this year doing comedy, which is always a very, um, for lack of a, it's a... A trying genre within this country um yes. coming from someone who try who the first time they pitched to do a comedy film or comedy anything was told why are you going for that genre because it always fails and luckily for me uh, yeah. our first comedy film actually did quite well but it is very much a yeah it's a trying genre it's a very hard genre to, to kind of crack and you've told me that you now want to position yourself as a comedy director why is that if i may ask that is correct like i recently just two weeks ago two weeks ago i directed my second Zanzi magic film which is like a romantic comedy i just think that people want to laugh i like laughing as a director i don't think i would be emotionally ready to like direct a thriller or like a drama because a lot of people that know me know that i'm not that kind of person that takes things very mm-hmm. serious so that's why i love comedy and i also figure that there's a gap in comedy in, in, in South Africa because most of the movies we see are thriller, action, drama, and I don't feel like there's enough of comedy movies in South Africa, and I feel like that's a gap that I want to fill. So also, like, the other thing is, I know, like, as, as like, people who are practicing film practitioners, most of the time you, you watch, like, like, if you go to, if I ask you, like, yeah, let's watch your favorite movie, you're not going to say American Pie. But for me, no, no, no. <laughs> like your top five. I would say a comedy though, but it wouldn't be American Pie. <laughs> no, I'm just making it. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? And 
for me, like most of my favorite movies are like comedy movies, like um, you know, American Pies. What's that movie with Kevin Hart and Ice Cube? Oh, Ride Along. Yeah, Ride Along, The Hangover. Like those are my kind of movies. Like I just don't want to think. I just want to watch TV and laugh. And I feel like we not not a lot of opportunities are being done like that. So you're more of the you're more of an escapist type of consumer. Yes, and I mean the other thing is I don't think. I've seen like an art, like all the art films I've seen are like dramas and stuff like that. I've never, I don't know why. Maybe you can, you can tell me why there aren't really much, or if there are any much art films that are actually comedy. I've, I've never come across one. And if you do know, please share it with me so I can watch it. And that's also like a route that I'm trying to like go into as well. So when you say art, are you talking about are you talking about within a South African perspective or within like just a general perspective? Um, just a general perspective. To your to that answer, wouldn't you then kind of put more of your dark comedies into the realm of art comedy because it's not necessarily in your face jokes per minute? Because for example, you have your comedies like if we if we're using television sitcoms for mm-hmm. example, right? So you have your your standard sitcoms which are your Big Bang Theories, your Modern Families. Mm-hmm where people know that they're watching a comedy. Then you have your ones which are hybrids um, and which are also just leaning a little bit more into fully storytelling mode, which isn't like episodic things like your Silicon Valleys, your Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, your uh, your, those types of shows, which are both one thing, but they're also leaning into making sure that there's a full story arc being serviced and the dramatic elements aren't... you don't necessarily run away from them, right? Yeah. And then you get your Atlantas and your... Because um, Atlanta technically is a comedy and there is dark... Co- okay, so it, what would you call Barry, for example? Ooh. Is that not odd comedy? I think it is. Like, I haven't thought about Barry. Oh, you just re- I need to rewatch it again. <laughs> oh, man. Because, <laughs> Barry is... is... You put the, your berries, your master of nuns. Also, yeah, well, where would you place like something like a master of none? Yeah, it is a comedy, actually. Yeah, so those are those are art comedies. But um, since we are talking about the different types of films that we, or different types of comedies that we love, one of our main things within the club is to always ask, actually, you know this because you have been, at least uh, Eccentric Circus has been a guest on this when we were still the club when we did Uhambo. Yeah. Um, so you know what question is coming So I don't need to preamble it What is your favorite African film, sir? And why? Oh, my favorite African film I would say Nairobi Half-Life So what's, Na- what's Nairobi Half-Life about? So Nairobi Half-Life is about this guy that needs So like it's a traveling troop thing Actors kind of thing They come to his township or like his village He sees them and then they were like, okay, come to Nairobi. So Nairobi is like Joburg of Kenya. They're like, come to Nairobi, we'll represent you, you'll become an actor. He goes to Nairobi and then anything that you can think and go wrong goes wrong. He gets... And when he says anything... (laughs) Look, I watched this because this movie came out in 2012. I think I came across it in 2015. And the thing is, the movie starts off really good and well. Mm. It starts off in a place where you're like, you have hope. Then there comes a place where he where life is so real and and the thing is it it almost starts off feeling comedic then it just turns <laughs> into a full on action drama and the pivot into it, it, it it's not just it's it's like a pivot from like light fun into like real life danger yeah. and that pivot is so deep and so strong there's even like a scene where he is fully within feces dude um and yeah so <laughs> it takes you through it takes you through 
all of the emotions um specifically with with this guy he just wants to make it dude just and that is his driving force <laughs> he just wants to be a star man it's not about punishing them it's about giving them a wake up call that's why i like you It feels like I have to live two different people every day. That's it. So that is that. Um, Kati Kati is also one. So the winter to my skin. Ah, another an- another film. I see you like films where people are continuously drenched in feces. I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> um, what's the other one? What's the Jamil one that he did before? Um, before So the Winter. Um, with, oh, with, of good of report. report. Of good reports yeah, was no. when me and my fiance decided that we we're gonna start being a couple. We went through that Wait. journey together and it was a very uncomfortable journey. So that's <laughs> <laughs> I was like Wait. I'm expecting a happiness is a four-letter word as as of good report. Yeah, I think of good report. Um we watched it for like two days. Like and when I say two days in sections. In, yeah, in sections. Yes, no, because <laughs> you can't like that. That movie, the the only way I think I can watch that movie in one sitting is if I'm in the actual cinema. Yeah. Because now I'm forced to not be anywhere. Because I remember we, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. She was like, yo, remember this movie everyone is talking about? I found it. Let's watch it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I think... Okay, how would you describe Of Good Report in a way that's not spoilery to someone? Imagine going on a roller coaster ride that blindfolded like you don't know where the turns are you don't know where you're gonna where it's gonna drop it just you just blindfolded folded and you're on a roller coaster ride and it thinks just, that's how it is like <laughs> you have said nothing <laughs> i'm not trying to spoil it but isn't that what it is like a good report is like yeah no, a roller coaster ride but you're yeah. blindfolded you just feel the drops you just feel the highs you don't know what's next you just dropped in, and and but the the central character is a school teacher. Let's just give you that context because yeah. you you walk you walk into the context of the school teacher who happens to get into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also the way he gets into the relationship. Mm. Yeah, you see, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm I'm trying to be spoiler, no spoilers, but just also giving people like a context of the world. We're in a school world, a school teacher, and a relationship. You need to experience it for yourself. I do believe it's on Showmax. It is, but it yeah, is but now back to you, sir. So you have a Christmas film. Yes. A Zulu Christmas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yo, um, let me let me I'm just gonna dial it back. So <laughs> what happened was that we pitched um a movie. Um, we sent a proposal for a movie, right, where um, a kid is being spoiled, Bryanston kind of living, and then he's forced to spend the holidays with the grandma. And yeah. they rejected it. They rejected it. So we're like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. 
When was this? When did you do this, this pitch? Was last year. Last year. Okay. So cool. they rejected this. So then uh, Open Call comes. They want some Christmas films. And we're like, hey, actually, remember that film? What if we make it a Christmas film? And that's exactly what we did. We just said, as you do Christmas, changed a couple of things within the story, and they took it. But never in my life have I thought that I'd make a Christmas film. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I never. I know. This is why I want to ask, because, like, there, there are very few, like, Christmas movies are a brand in and of themselves. I don't know, besides maybe Easter films, but that's like Christian Eastern films. I don't know a seasonal of a holiday type film. And American Thanksgiving, they make they seem to make a lot of Thanksgiving yeah. movies I've now I've now come to see. But Christmas, making a Christmas movie, I besides this year, I actually don't know South African Christmas movies because there's a Zulu Christmas. Well this year there, there's a lot of actual Christmas programming between a Zulu Christmas. There's also that next Netflix one that's coming out as a series. And I think Herb and Moon just came out. So when you found out that you're doing a Christmas film and you're doing like a South African Christmas film, what was actually, what was that like? Like, what was the, 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 the feeling going into that? You know, we didn't, we didn't actually realize we were just like working, working. And I think it only dawned on us the first day of sets of shoot. And then we were like, hold up guys, this is actually bigger than us like we were just shooting a film but this is actually a christmas film and we that's when we started to realize actually how big this thing is and i mean it still hasn't like hit yet like as 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 much as because i have a tendency of as soon as i'm done with the project i forget about it and some people say it's it's bad but that's how i i i work and the reason i do that is i know a lot of creators like that Specifically because you spend so much time with it. I also know like some of my music friends, once they've dropped their music, they don't listen to that music like at all. It's not it's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, like also like the only reason I remembered about Zulu Christmas is because of this interview. Like I I I moved on. I kind of like forgot about it. But for me, it's it's about like the story we're telling because I feel like the story we're telling is gonna be a story that a lot of people gonna relate to, especially um around this time story of a boy who grew up going to like St. John's can't speak a word of Zulu has a bubble around him. His mom is always protecting him and then having to go back to KZN to be with the grandma and the cousins. And now the, the language barriers, how he interacts with his cousin, who's the same age as him, how they play and those kind of things. So I feel like that's the importance that we trying to, that we were trying to do in terms of like this film, just to like help families, come together and have an understanding that the kids must be able to understand each other. Although your kid grew up in Branston, but at least they must know like how to say Sarwon or like something like that. And I've, I've noticed it as well with uh, my nephew and my niece as well, that they're being spoken to in English at school. When they come back home, they're being spoken to in English. And then when they come to my parents' house, my parents don't go like that. So they speak the language and you can feel them struggling to understand the language that they're supposed to speak and then being yeah. able to like go back and speak english the entire time so it's like a thing that we really need to like speak about especially with the high growth of the middle um the middle class it's something that we feel is important to actually talk about and especially using christmas as a backdrop i can see that i can see that being a very interesting film yeah also uh yeah it it, it has it, it has all the elements of 
something which can make a really heartwarming but still full of drama um christmas-esque type of film yeah i mean the, the drama is kind of like funny because you know like grandma waking you up to go to church it's just like this the, the small things it's not like hectic drama but it's like very child like funny kind of drama things that a spoiled child would do and not understand the ramifications of yeah so now I'm curious because you have um going back to your your guys's formwork you as the producer of Eccentric Circus you've done commercial work in terms of where your client is the broadcaster mm-hmm. and you've done work where you've just done work to kind of release as an independent IE web series in um mixed media. Yeah. So what I'd like to understand is as a production company when when Eccentric is coming through and creating concepts how is it how do you go about differentiating the two between what it is that you're doing for artistic and or independent purposes or what you're going to be doing for commercial purposes and is there a difference in that in the thinking of creating the concepts for you or is it a matter of creating stories and just seeing what takes we just create stories and we see what happens to the stories because the thing is we had that problem before where we would say okay let's think about a story for client and let's think about a story for us and it became difficult because now you kind of like blocking yourself from like being to, from to like imagine big things to come up with like compelling stories so then we we totally stopped doing that so now we just say okay let's make a story oh how about this how about that and then after that we sit down we look at it and we like okay how we put it in this for ourselves or are we fine with us giving it to clients and then that's the conversation that we have and sometimes i mean we have a couple of stuff that are in the fridge and the most of the stuff that are in the fridge needs like a lot of money to 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 execute properly so for the meantime we're just like using the the clients the clients work to save money so we can be able to one day do something that is going to like shake the country. Now, what what is within for example the commissioning process and working for commissioned work? What are some of the things that people underest or let me rephrase. So, once you've once something has actually been commissioned mm-hmm. or once something has actually gone into work, what are some of the things which people have misconceptions about the process that you think that can be debunked from a producing perspective in terms of now you are writing for for example because you've written for Mzanti Magic as well as Showmax when you now know that you are writing for client or producing something for client what changes within the process or what are some of the things which you now have to consider and how do you navigate that relationship between creating this product which is your creative output but is for a specific market and or vision because writing for a Mzanti Magic product which is made specifically for Mzanti magic and something which is made specifically for showmax the nuances are completely different so then how what happens within that process so i think like the first thing that people need to like do before even you send a proposal make sure you understand the channel like you understand the auditorial because as soon as you understand that the conversations become easier once you get commissioned so what we do and what has helped us a lot is after we get a commission and after we've been assigned a commissioning editor we have a meeting with the commissioning editor and just to find out what they heard from the pitch and how they see the the form 
and then you explain what we said and how we see the form. And then once you get a meeting point where both parties are happy, everything can go smoother. Our mistakes before was not asking the CE what they think the story is. And then we just did our own thing only to be taken back when we were like in draft three. And the CEO was like, guys, what the hell? This is not what I commissioned. So like having the con- conversation before makes you understand and puts you and your CEO on the same page in terms of like what they commissioned. And then there's like a lot of, um, I think this somebody said this on in one of your, the, the, the broke ass um, showcase or the talks. I just forgot who it was that the thing about storytelling is that you just have to change one thing. You don't necessarily have to change everything. Just change a, a small perspective and that's what we'll be doing. We can do like a Romeo and Juliet and just change a small thing. And that's what works. And also because we've worked with Zanzi Magic, it was much more easier for us to get conversations going when, as soon as we started with Showmax because China was also used to our voice. They know, they knew like what our voice was. So a lot of things didn't like shock them. We did get a lot of freedom on Showmax. Showmax has a lot of freedom than, than Mzanzi because of the Mzanzi editorial, which is like the whole family must watch the same thing. Whereas Showmax, you can just do your own thing, man. Showmax is, 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 is a breeze. It's just that. So the way in our first episode of the podcast, we actually spoke with one of the Showmax representatives called Kevin Criderman, mm-hmm. right? And the way that he explained it in terms of when you're creating content, when you're creating stuff for broadcast, if you're, if you're creating something for, let's say, Mzanti Magic, yeah, we do have an understanding that even if you're creating a primetime show or primetime movie, unless it's the Sunday Sunday night primetime thing, it is going to have daytime airings. And people don't yeah. have, a, there's no active choice from the audience to press play. They will switch it on and it will be on. So you can not use, so someone can even go on to Mzanti Magic right now because they're just channel hopping and that will be what's playing. Yeah. So it has to be able to appeal of not necessarily appeal to seven-year-old and a go at the same time, but be cognizant of the fact that mm. a seven-year-old and an 84-year-old will be watching. However, when you're dealing with a streaming platform, you actively have to press play. Exactly. So there, 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 there's a part of there's a part of that process which is now on you. So th- there's a little bit more freedom because also if you put a parental um, stamp on, let's say, stuff on Showmax or on Netflix or any other different type of platform, they will bar the, the under 13 year olds, but you can't bar your kid from watching. Yeah. So those are the the types of things, which is also why it allows you to, to get more creative. Oh, you have a little bit, you might have a little bit more freedom on the streaming side than on a broadcast side, which in the positive, you have more stories which are family centric, which like Gomorrah's, Gomorrah speaks to everyone. But yes, so, but back to your, your, your explanation in terms of um, managing. So then what are the things that go into understanding how to manage that relationship? And as you, how do you manage who it, who it is your actual audiences? You're saying it's within that specific communication between you and the CE and that specific point in time. And what is a CE? So a CE is a commissioning editor, the person that looks after the project that you are working on. So there will be like your link to the to the company or like your clients actually like the CE is the client. That's how I see a CE. 
So in terms of like the target markets, we, we already decide on the target market when we send the proposal. So when we do the pitch, it's just like a reminder. You tell them, um, by the way, this is the target market. So that when you get to like script phase, um, beat, beat phase or like an NTP, however you decide, then everybody is on the same page. And the other thing that people do not understand is, or not really understand, that they forget is that CE's commissioning editors are humans as well. And as humans, we all, we all grew up differently. We all have different perspectives. For me, that's what makes humans so interesting is because of our different perspectives. And it's just like a conversation and just by finding out what their perspective of life is and how they see the story. And then in that, you will be able, most of the time, you can marry the two perspectives because we have three perspectives in our company, which is me, Neil, and Tawo. We married those perspectives to make a story. And then now we have a fourth one, which is a CE. And then we just marry that one as well, just to come up with a story that has multiple layers because you have to understand that you have to speak to four different kind of perspectives already. And I think that's what's really helping us a lot in terms of like having stories that are very multi-layered in terms of like the story and storytelling or at least filmmaking in any aspect is incredibly collaborative and has to be collaborative for it to work yeah this is not an industry where you, or, or at least right now our industry i think it can be very hard to be a me person unless you actually have all the funds to do it by yourself then by all means you you <laughs> you can be a me person i don't think Hmm? Even if you have all the funds, you're going to still need people. Yes. And what I've learned within my journey producing or working is that you're managing humans and you need to keep reminding yourself that everyone is a human. It's not this is this is the client, this is the, the big bad, or this is the person, this is we're all people. Exactly. And I think once, once you understand that, then a lot of things becomes easier because sometimes Yelezo will give me like a note that's that's weird. That's that I'm like, Yelezo is fucking crazy. I'm not doing this. But then once you pick up a phone and just like, Yelezo, come on. You said on this time code, I must move this. But that doesn't make sense. Your, your thing is weird. And just having that phone call, Yelezo can explain like, yo, the reason I'm saying that is because of it doesn't make sense in the future or like it doesn't make sense on the next scene, then you're like, oh shit, Yellows is actually making sense. And that's how you collaborate and you remember that this is a human and he does have a different perspective. He sees things differently. And once you understand that, you're gonna have the time of your life. Are you a telco mobile user? If so, Enraptured Odyssey has teamed up with other independent filmmakers to create the channel Mzansi TV, available on the new service Telcom Plus. Mzansi TV is an online channel curated with web series, short films, and comedy series independently produced by some of the most trailblazing youth here in Mzansi. For only three rand subscription per day, you get full access to all the content on Mzansi TV. The channel is available to Telcom Mobile and Telcom Data subscribers. So now you, um, as you stated at the beginning, you studied performance right yep throughout all of this you have maintained acting performances which include the very tragically shelved sketch that we did together which will never see the light <laughs> of day and i really want to re-record it because man that script your, your your performance is fine that script was good but 
what I want to understand is how has that background, because I know, for example, since I'm a writer, I feel like everything that I do, even though I go into a lot of different roles in terms of like producing or all these other things, it always still kind of feeds back into from a writing perspective. Yeah. How how have you been able to navigate or what has the journey been like for you starting off primarily as an actor, then moving into a space where I think you then became an AD, you went from mm-hmm. AD to now becoming primarily a producer and then from a producer to doing comedy, which is also very much more performance. It's performance risk. It's one of the highest performance risk genres which i also think may be part of why you wanted to go for it in my in my humble opinion as a director what has informed how you've been able to navigate from starting off as a performer and does that actually inform all these other different roles that you found yourself in and if so how the thing about performance is that performance you can literally become anyone you want right and one of the biggest the first thing that i kind of like learned outside of do not act is don't judge your character, understand your character. And a lot of things that I, I did, which is like being in AD and, okay, let me start with being in AD. Being in AD, you'd find people that are dragging their legs and stuff like that. And instead of me judging the person or calling the person lazy, I'd want you to understand why is this person doing what they're doing and how can I make them move faster? So that was the AD part. In producing, a lot of things I went in without understanding them. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, what the hell I'm doing. And just simply asking questions just to understand the job. And also being able to step into any room without feeling like I'm not supposed to be there. That's the thing that acting did for me. I'm not saying that I'm acting all the time. So Wait, have you mastered that yet? Mastered what? You're saying being able to walk into a room and not feel like you don't belong have you mastered that yes i have oh i am so jealous of you i am i'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not there yet <laughs> you know you know what i you know what it is is that it's just so it's gonna sound so weird so every time i step into a room and i feel uncomfortable the first thing that i think about is if i stab all these people they're all gonna have red blood and if i stab myself my blood is gonna be red and i was like there's no reason for me to be afraid of these people. <laughs> Such a violence. <laughs> I know, right? I know, but it really helped me. It really helped me. It's like, if I stab this person, Will they be- what color What color will the blood be? And I'm like, red. If I stab myself, I'm going to have red blood. I'm not afraid of this person. I'm just going to walk in. Another thing, you realize that a lot of people do not know what they're doing. Just like sometimes, most of the time, I don't know what I'm doing. So we're just going in there hoping that somebody knows what they're doing. Or that we can at least guide each other into the right exactly. into the right places or into the wrong places. Sometimes sometimes things just go horribly wrong. But you go in with the hope. Yeah. <laughs> with the gumption. Exactly. And we're all human, man. Like, just step in. Remember, these people are human. And one thing my therapist told me is when you step into, your, into a room, before you even say hi, People know the kind of energy you have. It's just like when I'm having auditions, right? Have you, you've been part of auditions, right? You've auditioned some people. Sir, I have directed multiple movies. <laughs> I think. No, the... no, I'm just, I just want to get to this point so, so, I, so I know that you understand what I'm saying. You know, yeah, like yeah. sometimes when you audition somebody and the audition is great, but there's something off about them, right? And that's the kind of energy they have. 
it's either maybe like they come in too desperate or they're just angry, but they just like there's just something off in their energy. And you can feel it, although they don't, they don't say it. So that's what my therapist told me, that if you walk into the room, walk in, tell yourself, I'm confident. I don't need approval from anyone. And when you step into the room, trust me, you are the person you think you are. That's it. That's my trick. That's and your it's trick. It's, it's worth wonders. See, I, I, will try, I will try implement, see the dagger next time and see what happens but also it's yeah, COVID. Right. i've not i've not walked into a room of uh a lot of strangers in or a lot of strangers for like meeting purposes everything i've done thus far has all been quite remote because even our our films we had to finish our films this year remotely which is so fun um because i was within the <laughs> deep lockdown uh at the beginning of the year when when lockdown was lockdown but yeah so even speaking within that how has navigating shooting within lockdown been and what are some of the challenges that you found and even if it's not challenges what are challenges can also be 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 triumphs but what has kind of fundamentally shifted for you about filming within covid or within lockdown that wasn't there before lockdown Uh, money money man lockdown is your Like getting stuff for the precautions, like getting sanitizing stations, having to check food, how food is being prepared, people wearing masks. It's costly in, in, in a way that if you want people to come to your sets, you also have to like have some precautions, like buy masks. Like there's an extra person that we have to pay now, which is like our COVID marshal. Yeah, that's about it. It's just that last week, not last week, the romantic movie I shot, the romantic comedy. It was so hard shooting like the romantic scenes without kissing. Like, yo, it was so hard. Like, you work so hard to build up a kiss. And then as soon as you say action, then you remember, ah, oh, these people can't kiss. So you have to yell cut just before they let touch. So wait, what touch. are some what are some of the guidelines of the no-nos that, are, that, for example, Channel Now states or the law states that within lockdown for professional shoot, you cannot do? I just have it on the SOP. I'll just like have to open it for you because there's a long list of stuff that you should and shouldn't do. Transports for people, setting up. You can't have art department, lighting, camera in one room. They all have to take chances and dressing the room. So you first dress the room. Camera, I mean, lighting does their stuff. After lighting, camera does their stuff, which wastes time because we used to everybody just working at the same time, just like giving each other space. Right now, you literally have to say, okay, art department is your turn, then they run in, do the thing. Lighting, your turn. No, camera, your turn. Place the cameras, then the lighting guys, after the place the cameras, lighting guys come in. In the mornings, people have to sign in, sanitizing. Oh, I hate sanitizers now, like my hands are peeling so bad. No touching. Makeup is becoming so costly now because everybody has to have their own brushes. So then... For the people who are filmmakers, we all know that time and money are the exact same thing. Yeah. In a literal sense, because you only have so many hours in the day to shoot. For example, Lamzandi Magic Film has to be shot within three to five days. And what you see on screen is 15 minutes. So every day you have to shoot at least 10 minutes with the footage or not at least, but around to be safe. And with that, you're on set for usually 12 hours, 12 to 13 hours. Yep. that's what you're supposed to be on set for yeah <laughs> yes, supposed to be on set for 12 to uh, 13 hours the 13th hour being basically the setup and or takedown uh period yeah. of 
shooting. So what I want to understand from you is, so usually let's say you're shooting from six till seven, also from seven till seven. So people arrive at six. Yeah. If usually you, you do your first shot at eight because everyone is setting up around at the same time. How long is the setup time now? If it's, let's say if it was usually an hour or 90 minutes, how long does it now become with, within changing scenes and all that type of stuff? Um, how does that work within the scheduling of everything? So what we did is after we saw like the regulations and understood how certain things work, what we did is most of our locations were already dressed. By having locations that are already dressed, then at least there's one element that's gone, which is like art department setting up. Yeah. And then the camera team, what I did on, on the former shot is when we went for the Reiki, I started blocking each scene. So I knew where I'm going to put the access, all those kind of stuff. So that when we start shooting, camera knows. I'm like, okay, we're doing scene 26, scene 26, A and B is happening. He knows exactly where I want to put the cameras. And he does that. And he already knows where to put the lights. So we found ways to make things still move a bit faster, but not as fast as they used to be. But I think... So does maybe that mean like the pre-production period is a lot longer now? It's not a lot longer. It's just focused on more things now, more I than see. what we focused on before. Yes, I mean, it's like you telling me that shoot is more longer. Like pre-production is pre-production. I can't have six. I wish I could have like six months pre-production. Dreams, but... <laughs> dreams. I wish that would be the best. But yeah, so in pre-production, um, we just sat down with my partners and we were like, okay, fine, guys. This is what the new normal is. How do we make it work? And we were like, okay, first thing, get locations that are dressed. Make sure there's like minimal dressing for our department. When you go for Reiki's, you're at least like blocking your, your scenes. Because at some point, the cameras stay in like the same positions for like some of the scenes. They don't really like move much. So at least like do that. So when we go to set, camera team knows where to put the cameras, where to put the lights, where you're facing, those kind of things. So that in a way move faster. It was just tricky on a Zulu Christmas with kids because then we'd have to like have a medic, we have to have COVID marshal. Also now we, you can't really have a lot of extras. So some of the crew members jump in as extras because there's only a certain amount of people that you're allowed to have on sets. I've um, read that because even um, Ayanda, who's the casting director for Isona, he was saying the same thing that sometimes, actually a lot of the times that they had to use the crew members as mm. extras purely because of the cap that you have. So you're now like, okay, you look like you could, you look like <laughs> you could be in this world. Okay, just jump in. <laughs> yeah, and like that's the other things that we had to do, but we, we we tried to make it fun. Like the crew was really into it. Um, we were having fun. We had like a raffle. We like ah, who's coming on set today? Who's an extra today? So people were like really excited about that. We were fun. <laughs> Wait, you guys actually made it like a, a full on process? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we did. Cool. So now with all of this, with all of these changes that are currently happening, and also with what is now feeling like a complete shifting tide, not just from a local perspective, but from an international perspective in terms of there's a lot of, I think even right now in the last two, in the last three weeks, I have found at least 40 different fellowship like funds or whatever things 
that are dealing with trying to invest money into local film, whether that be from a local perspective or from an international perspective. And this year yeah. alone, you've already seen how much the differing types of local content, even though COVID, COVID kind of killed a lot of what have, could have happened. But even yeah. within the understanding of that, we've still gotten a lot of different types of content. So where, where from, from where you're sitting, where are you seeing local content going? And also where are you seeing, um, you can even speak about it from an African perspective, because I think part of your trips with the academy, or at least with multi-choices, different CSI initiatives has been from a continental perspective. I think that's what like everybody's feeling right now, is that the eyes are on Africa. And we worked so hard previously and got nothing back or like got the bare minimum back. And I feel that right now it's our time as Africa to actually show up. It's just that I feel that I feel like there's a lot of people that in the industry that needs to rest, like a lot of people that have paved the way for us that we're grateful for. But I think they need to rest now and just sit back and just like let us run the game. Because when you say rest, you mean like retire? Yeah. Okay. I'm saying it with my chest. <laughs> these are his views when you're saying retire but just expand on this a little bit further so when i say retire i mean that they must use their time to guide us right and when i mean us i mean the young and the other the next generation of greats i'm quoting your work the next generation of greats that are coming up i think they must invest their time in like guiding us Right. Whereas right now they still, I feel that they are still like trying to get as much as possible before they retire or like before they die. And I do understand that there's not a lot of money. And about industry, to say, but- uh, we don't exactly have, uh, we don't work with big budgets here uh, at all. So in terms of like building a safety net, because I know from from my understanding most people build their safety nets not through the budgets but through being able to kind of eat from the budget so you get one big project and you're able to buy cameras or you're able to then rent those cameras back to the production so it's more of like a production company rental things where you get most of your money as opposed to actually from the content no i i i I hear what you're saying I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is that the only way to move the industry forward is for the people that came before us to sit us down and show us the ropes, show us the mistakes they've made. Because right now they don't have any fight in them. Let's be honest. They don't have much fight in them. We have the energy to to fight and continue that fight. But it's hard for us to know a way to channel our energy in terms of like fighting when they are not guiding us from the inside. And I think they need to guide us from the inside because now the eyes are on Africa. But since the eyes are on Africa, I just feel that they want to get the first cake. They want to get the first slice first before they like, okay, guys, slow down. The eyes are on us. This is what you guys have to do to make sure that you guys continue this. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like, you know, we're not, as young people, we're not really getting as much support from our elders in the industry. So you're speaking about this also from a collaborative perspective in terms of both the sharing of knowledge, but also the understandings of the dynamics that go into all of these different things. Yes. I see. Um, I can understand that from, yeah, I can understand it from a base perspective because your, um, what I can say uh, in, in, in agreeance with that is, for a communication industry, we're not very c- 
communicative. Yeah. And sometimes that the places which are communicative aren't really um, spotlighted well enough. Part of the very few positives of this year has kind of been, for example, with the film festivals going online, there's been, I think, a lot more access to these types of collaboration conversations happening but at the same time not many not enough people are involved in those conversations so like diff uh, or yeah. the durban format the panels which are happening there were amazing um i learned so much in terms of who's looking for content within who from an international perspective is looking for content within africa and what type of content they're looking for even down to conversations like for example at a reef two weeks ago when it was purely just about what the digital landscape is looking for but when you're in those when you're in those specific panels first of all i don't think not enough people know about these panels like the durban film art conversation i think there were 20 people in that conversation i found out about it because i'm continuously actively looking for festivals and i talk about them on radio but the community of people who know this information is too small and then they don't spread that information out. In terms of the dispersal of information and the collaborative information, that space, I do feel there's there's a very big gap, not just from the older generation to us, but even us to them, because this is a two-way street, because digital content has completely changed the game. Um, yeah. And I don't think, I shouldn't say it's changed the game, but it's broadened how the game can be played. Because traditional still works mm. the same way, very at least the last few years of traditional. Traditional is still very traditional and digital is digital. But the amount of fluidity that you can have between the two has b- greatly broadened. And the value that can be gotten from, for example, having a little bit of traditional formatting in, in understanding how to do digital work or in terms of also on the other end from a traditional perspective understanding a little bit more of the fluidity of it doesn't have to be you don't have to do one specific thing so you don't have to have a storyline b storylines d story c storyline and a drama series to work so i think that type of collaboration can happen a little bit more so it's from that perspective where i agree with you in terms of the actual flow of information unless you have a mentor or yeah unless you have a very specific mentor who's speaking to you i think that upliftment can be better but at the same time i do want to pose back to you do you not do you not feel like we have a very skilled young force within the film and television industry because even when you're looking about looking at like the phone the current television grades you're speaking about your party macarellas and guidians they're in the mid to late 30s, your Tabang Moles. That's technically still very, very young. So you don't feel that our industry is also quite young in terms of the highly skilled people who, who, who are within the industry at this specific juncture? I think we are. Like, what you're saying is right. Like, dude, like South African, yo, South Africa is dope. Like, like. I was telling people the other day, like, how dope South Africa is, like, in terms of, like, the picture, the quality. It's, like, international, dog. It's just that you're not getting the guap, just not say, but our work is is dope. And I think you are right. I mean, they are quite young. And the other thing is that the, the kind of information 
like I've been privileged to 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 get the, the information that I did get when I was in Emmett's uh, Magic in Motion. I realized the privilege of when I speak to other people, when I have to like explain and break down things to them, and which is something that is helping me a lot in terms of like my producing work. And I do feel like we need more MIMs. That's what I mean. Like we need more MIMs, bigger MIMs, different forms, editors, writers. Like we, we, I don't feel like we have enough writers in South Africa. Like enough good writers. We do that. not. I here's the thing. I disagree. I think we have enough because I've met a lot of people who have great ideas. Their story instinct is quite strong but it's not given a space to nurture in terms of the people i've met specifically more within like the web series realm because if you actually watch a lot actually a, a decent amount of our web content i find it usually falls into two spaces it's either really good writing and really good ideas and mid execution or really great shooting and bad writing or mid writing right but a lot of people don't pay attention to the ones which are really good stories, but mid-execution because our industry is so technical, um, or at least the, the technical side of our industry is so advanced that we tend to look at that first before looking at yeah. The, yeah. the actual what's informing it in terms of that story. Mm. That's where I kind of land, but I do agree with you with, with us needing specifically more because writers doesn't have to produce how many after writers kind of leave after in terms of on a yearly basis people who've studied specifically writing so i think i might i stand to be corrected i think in after you do writing and directing at the same time so you leave as a writer and director i don't think like everyone anyone has lived as a writer only but like what you're saying is is very true is and that's what i mean that i feel like the elders should be helping us more to like develop more writers help us execute more because now that the eyes are on south africa the eyes are on africa we need to show up now and we need help from them as much as they need help from us in order for us to grow we must learn their ropes and we must also show them a few things that they might not be aware of and that's what i mean that i feel that the elders are not helping us enough in terms of like honing young writers, honing young DOPs, honing young sound engineers, young sound recorders, young producers and stuff like that. Because we are just, we are learning, but I feel like a lot of things could be like easier. Like there's some things where I'm like, there's probably somebody that has been through this, being through something I'm going through right now. And if they can tell me how to get through this, I wouldn't be wasting my time on this problem because I will just get a cheat code from someone else. They'll be like, no, do not do that, do this. I, once, I was once in that position. This is what I did to get myself out of it. You know what I'm saying? And that's how we can be able to fast track the growth of our industry. Our writers are overworked, man. Yo, guys, you see, if, if, they, can pay, if they can pay our writers the right amount of money, guys, yo, the stories would come, would, would have in South Africa. I know how overworked writers are because my fiance is a writer. And she writes for like a lot of shows and you like, sometimes when I, when I read her script, I'm like, but you kind of like writing the same thing. And she doesn't even realize that because she's just writing, 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 writing. Now imagine if they got like proper tips to write 
proper time to write how much quality content we'd have i just feel like we need more time and more money man like this this the way we're working is not really good and i don't think it's gonna get better because we keep on delivering um but it's 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 not like a good way to like work because we can't really improve this is the way we're gonna work and that's how I feel personally. So then with that in mind, what advice if someone's listening in there specifically producers or both producers and actors since you've been on both ends and that's your primary role, how do you enter trying to navigate is, this industry? Um, I'm not going to speak much of an actor because I haven't worked professionally in a while. Um, but as a producer, like... The trick I use is choose the choose your stress. Um, as soon as you have a problem, find a solution. Do not dwell on the problem. Just get a solution as soon as possible. Um, there's always somebody who knows. So make make calls. If nobody on your call list or on your contact list knows, go to Google or just go on YouTube, just try to like figure it out. Um, breathe. Breathe. That's the biggest thing. Don't forget to breathe, guys. Um, breathe. Like he's also reading in and... that statement. Um, breathing is a thing. Yes. <laughs> and what I do most of the time, like when I'm too stressed, um, I fight, I fight a lot with my fiance for this, is I I like taking myself out to spa dates and buying myself sneakers. So do things that you love to keep you sane. We call that self care. Go to the spa. <laughs> yep. <laughs> self care. So yeah, man, just breathe. Um, ask for help. Don't ever think that you're alone. Um, some problems, like I've done some stuff. I've made some mistakes that I thought I would never recover from, but right now I'm laughing back at them. Some problems, you are, you make them big, bigger than they actually are. So just take a step back, relax, and think about what you're doing. The more you panic, the more mistakes you do. So just remember, breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Ask for help. Relax. Choose your stress. And yeah, you'll be fine. It's been working wonders for me. And also go out, man. Like, guys, we are young, right? <laughs> we are young, guys. This man is definitely out, reading me. He's, he's, he's using you to read me. And I, I know what he's doing, right? <laughs> go out, guys. Like, go... Oh, guys, you guys do not know how much fun people are having at this. Yes, work hard. Like, I, I, I work my ass off. But when I get the chance, I party my ass off as well. So find the balance. Please go out, guys. Like you cannot hey, hey guys, you, you guys don't know how crazy this industry will tell you. Guys, you'll feel like you're losing your mind. Like I don't know how many times I felt like I was I was about to lose my mind. Like I was probably gonna be admitted somewhere. Like this industry will make you feel like you're crazy. So you need to go out, blow up some steam. Another trick I do is my close friends and like my my high school friends, I, I hang around my high school friends a lot. None of them are in the industry. So get some friends also out of the industry. Yes. Because what happens is that yes. the, the, if you have a lot of friends in the industry, you guys are going to end up talking about the problems we have. So and sometimes it's, it's nice hearing it. 
Yeah, it's nice like hearing like your 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 accountant friend that did a life a good choice in the career talking about the stress that co-workers giving them. Like it's nice to be like, "Oh, because I have I have friends in the industry and sometimes like when when I meet them or like when we when we go out for drinks, as soon as you get there, you will like, "Guys, nobody is talking shop, right? Nobody will speak shop." You like case up. 30 minutes down the line we are talking about the industry and we just going to become stressed and everybody just stressed so like having people friends outside of the industry it helps you like shut down man just like be like okay let me just be a normal person for once yeah okay and then to close off sir you have you've already spoken about a romantic comedy that you're directing and you have a christmas film coming out in 2 days so tell us what is who what where how when why all of them things and also if someone wants to get a hold of you to kind of get more information about US Kalani specifically where must they go what must we do what are you punting sir romantic comedy called the the vacation um it's going to come out in feb next year as you look christmas that's going to come out on the 20th of December and there are some exciting things that are going to be happening in Jan that I can't really get into at the current moment. Um and then you guys can find me on Instagram, I don't have Twitter. I don't know why people have Twitter because Twitter is full of hate. Um please put that out. You have dragged so many things in this podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um yeah find me on Instagram at the skinny superhero and yeah and Facebook Olani X and Trapo I think it is I don't know yeah but yeah there's only two places you guys can find me and just follow the eccentric circus page on Instagram and on Facebook for more news about from the production company and the stuff that stuff that we'll be working on in the near future Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh this has been quite a fun conversation. Actually, I think it's been one of our light, lighter conversations and I think it's it's quite due since uh, we are within the holiday spirit, the holiday season. And yeah, that was the 7th episode of the African Film Podcast and yeah, thank you for your time. This season's interviews were primarily recorded remotely via Zoom during September and October 2020. The African Film Podcast is produced by Enraptured Odyssey, a media company based in Alberton, South Africa. To find out more on African Film and Enraptured Odyssey, you can go to their website enraptured.africa and you can also follow their social pages at African Film that's A F R I Q U A N film on social media sites for more fun film facts.